Welcome to Hustle and Heart. Today we have a wonderful, wonderful guest today, Miss Deanna Joseph. How are you today? Oh, well, thank you. Okay, well, we're going to start because we want to make sure that we get you to tell your story. First of all, I want the audience to know that Hustle and Heart is about um, a woman's journey on success, business, advocate, whichever direction she's going, she's going to tell her journey and she's going to make sure that you guys are inspired by her journey as well. Okay, so what we're going to do is let Miss Miss Deanna tell a little bit about herself. Yes, thank you so much for the invitation to join you today. It, it's such an honor to be a part of your show and um, to also share my heart. Right. To to to, to share with the world, um, to share with the community, the impact of a mother's love. My journey has been that I am a mother first. Right. And through that, developed a career in the helping profession, in clinical work, in the community, and with so many other um, nationalities, including the Native American um, tribes. So I've always been in this place of help, helping others and the work of my community. Coming from New Orleans, Louisiana, which is my hometown, and migrating to Tampa, Florida, as a result of Hurricane Katrina, okay. has brought me into this land, this place that was not familiar, but became familiar through adversity, because my son Andrew was a boy who attended school here. He was a 14-year-old kid desiring to live and grow in his community. He had friends. He attended St. Stephen's Catholic School. And as a result, he developed these relationships. He played little league football. How did you feel when you gave birth to um, Andrew? Wow. That was the best gift ever. (laughs) He was the boy I had prayed for. And um, being a a Southern woman, it was a great honor to give this son to my husband uh, and to also have him bear his name. Andrew Joseph III was the name of my father-in-law, who is now deceased, as well as my husband. So that was a a great gift. Um, We were proud. Everyone was at the hospital awaiting his birth. There was celebration. (laughs) There was um, an overcompensation of love from all areas, even my family, because he was the first grandkid on my mother and father's side. See, I'm the oldest in my family, and I only have one brother. So um, they were very elated by their daughter finally at 28 years old, having a son so that brought a lot of joy that brought a lot of joy to our family and um it was long awaited so you can just imagine thereafter what 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 ensued um a lot of people don't know about the story of andrew um i know it's a difficult difficult one to to tell but i want people to understand um a little bit of your journey and where 
where you are, why you are where you are. So can you tell them the night that you got a phone call about your son? Can we go into that? We can, and um, I would just like to start before uh, before the night of the phone call, okay. in which my son came home from school. Okay. And he asked his mom, can I go to the fair with friends? And uh, at that moment in time, it was like, did you ask your dad? And right. he's like, yeah, I asked dad. He said it was great. And, you know, I bought that outfit. <laughs> you know, um, when we went to the mall, I purchased this outfit I want to wear. Right. So it's like, Andrew. So it was the night before his confirmation. Oh, and wow. we're Catholic. So that was a special moment, uh, a milestone in his life. And a celebration type of weekend. Right. So Friday night is like, you can go to the fair. You can go to the fair, son, but you... There you go. You can go to the fair, but I need to talk to the mother who's transporting you to the fair. So Mrs. The Neighbor had said, I'll bring the children and I'll pick them up. We exchanged phone numbers. I remember writing it so vividly on a pink post-it note, and she put it on her dash of her black GMC Yukon, and they drove away. And I remember as a mother thinking, my son is growing up, and he no longer needs me to accompany him to events. Right. He's growing up. So a little despair came in, but... I pulled myself together and went in and baked cookies with my daughter, Deja, <laughs> as the constellation as to your brother going to the fair, but this is something special you and I will do. Right. And uh, that worked. Mm -hmm. So when 8 p.m. hit, it started to rain, and I felt, I heard the drizzle on the rooftop. And I started to call Andrew and say, Son, you see, you wanted to go to the fair. Now it's raining. You just wasted a whole bunch of money. <laughs> but I didn't. That's a good thing. Because <laughs> he would have felt some type of way. <laughs> exactly. Because even though he received the ticket from the friend, he still had like 100 bucks that my mom had gave him for Christmas that right. he was burning to spend. He, he was, it was burning his pockets. <laughs> so he bought all the boys armbands to ride the rides unlimitedly. And uh, I hear that he even bought concession items as well. So um, he enjoyed himself. He enjoyed himself, yeah. and he spent up his money. And and when I got the, the 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 wallet back, when we actually received his belongings, there was six dollars. So he really yeah, had a good time. A good <laughs> so um, just the just to add that as when we received his things back is when my husband went to pick him up from the fair. And he was searching for hours for Andrew. And we were calling for hours for Andrew. You said at one point you felt like you were kind of upset with him because he knew better. Yeah, I was upset because here you had your neighbor, your friend, right. mom, waiting for you. And you weren't in place. Right. So as a mother, I felt the need to reprimand first for, for that <laughs> behavior. And um, kind of scolded him on the voicemail as if to say, 
you're never going to the fair again. <laughs> yeah. uh, not knowing that, you know, he never would have the opportunity to go to the fair again because his life ended on that night. But um, hindsight is twenty twenty, and um, that was the least of my concerns. I should have been the least of my concerns at that moment in time, but it was. Well, go through go through the night a little bit so people can understand your emotion and, and how you felt as that night went on. Well, I tell you, it was a moment where adrenaline is flowing, a moment where your heart muscles is pumping and your blood is boiling because you have so much anticipation of what could be. But your desire in mind is saying it can't be. Right. Because it's just no way that you would be deserving of something so heart-wrenching. Right. So I was in a state of panamonia at that point in time. I didn't really know how to feel. Everything is surreal. Right. But I knew that my son was not home with me. I knew that he was out into an unfamiliar community that we had just landed upon. And I knew that I needed to propel myself into some type of action. So that began the moment in time in which my husband would hit the ground running. He would go to the fair. He would ask questions. He would interview, he would check with the sheriff department, he would check with the fair authorities, he would check with the Florida State Troopers to see if they saw this boy because he was not there in place upon pickup by the neighbor. And Mr. Joseph tells of this time of which he was in a state of where could Andrew possibly be? And I know it, 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 it wasn't his behavior. It wasn't his behavior to be missing right. and out of place at no amount of time. Right. Because, as I said, we always accompanied him right. to everything. The mall, we coming with you. <laughs> Bush Gardens, we coming with you. Right. you know? So this one moment you're thinking, it's student day. The tickets are given by the school district. Mm-hmm. And it has to be safe. Because it's a day designated for children. Right, right. And you kind of lump it into school function, school-related function. What could go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? Right. And um, it was mind-blowing. It was mind-blowing. It was um, just... And he's with people that he's safe with, so there was no need for you to even think that anything would have went wrong. It was no need for me to any danger right in this experience because like I said it was a school sanctioned event right and we entrust our children to school as well as their events right every day we've done that for generations and generations so what makes February 7th 2014 any different and I believe that's where our mindset was and is today Whereas, you know, we had to propel ourselves into being the change agents we wanted to see in this community. Right. 
Well, it's 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 kind of uncommon for kids for stuff like that to happen to kids when they're in the custody of the um, school. So, right, and, and it is uncommon, and it is uncommon, and it's not something that we ever should feel expected to be treated as. Right, um, because those policies and procedures should be in place. Should be in place, mm-hmm. and they work for everyone else, but when it comes to us, right, and our children, so it. It was plain and transparent to me what we were looking at. Mm -hmm. And it was plain and transparent to the community as to how they had seen their community to be for generations and years and and, in decades. Right. Because at first, this Florida State Fair was a day in which only black people can go. And it takes my husband to say it was nigger day. Mm. Whereas... Negroes were the only ones to go to the fair on this one specific day. They were supposed to bring their own food because the vendors wouldn't serve them. Wow. And it was still a day in which you saw a mass discrimination of racial disparities in the community. And our community did very little to make this Florida State Fairgrounds participate in change that was for the black community. There were no black centered events. There were no um, exhibits that replicated the children who were in attendance. Right. And really the children were just going there to support the white agenda, which right. was what we call now cracker country. And it has been common ground. Cracker country has been there forever and school districts have field trips there. And we just kind of sit back and accept that. Whereas what about having a black American exhibit or a history lesson right. for children of color to be able to attend? So so let me ask you something because you're going into detail about um, definitely the separation of what you think. You, you feel as though if Andrew was a different color, he probably would have been treated a little bit differently? Oh, I believe that wholeheartedly, 100% without a doubt that that is the case. Andrew would have, if he was a different boy, a different color, he would have at least got a phone call home if he was a white boy, and I'm going to just put it out there. Uh, and if he was a white girl, he probably would have got a ride home. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So tell us when your your husband was looking for um, he was searching. One of the um, troopers came to your husband and, and asked for a picture, correct? Yes, he came to my husband as he was searching for Andrew and asked him if he had a picture of Andrew. The f- picture he had in his phone, the, the trooper indicated that it wasn't a clear photo. And he wanted to get a more vivid photo. So my husband called me at home asking me if I had more pictures of Andrew. And that's when I began to question him. Like, why would you need a picture of Andrew? It's an uncommon question. Right. Mm -hmm. You just went there to pick him up. What is going on at the site of the Florida State Fairgrounds? And he said, well, I don't know. He said, but they want a picture. Can you please send me one? So I sent it through my phone, sent it to him, and um, he showed it to the officer And at that moment in time, we hung up, and I'm still calling Andrew, calling Andrew. Right. 
um, trying to see if he'll pick up his cell phone. And again, he doesn't pick up, so I'm still leaving voicemails. You better answer this phone. You, I'm going to take this phone from you. That's right, it. Right. That's it. Going into mother mode. <laughs> right, mother right, mode. right, right. So all on another tangent. So Andrew, my husband, calls me, and he's waiting. He said, well, they're looking at the picture, and now they're talking to each other. He's not at the hospital. He's not at the juvenile detention center. Where could he possibly be? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't think he has a girlfriend or anything that he would want to, like, spend the night with. He, you know, I've never seen anything like that. Um, what You know, so your mind crossing. is racing. You're and, crossing off everything right, off the list. Right, right, right. right. So uh, in, through the process, we couldn't come up with anything. Well, never thinking worst case scenario. Never. No. Never in a million years no. would we have ever thought that our son would be dead. Right. That was the that was that never even crossed my mind. And when the troopers saw the picture, they must have put it into their system. And another trooper came by and he said, I'm investigating a death on I-4. Well, my son is 14. His friends are 12 and 13. So we're like. No, that has nothing to do. Yes, (laughs) that has nothing to do with us. Our son doesn't drive and none of his friends have driver's license. Why would he be on I-4 at any given point? Right. Right. So we dismissed him. My husband said he kind of like, well, I don't know what you're talking about over here, but I need to talk to this sheriff department Mm -hmm. officer so he can help me. You know, you go do your job over there. But this is what I'm doing over here. Right. Uh, So he was persistent. He asked my husband, well, what did he have on? What type of clothing? So my husband calls me again. What did Andrew have on before he left the house? So I explained to him what he had on, the shirt. The shirt. I said, but he had your Gucci scarf around his waist. Mm-hmm. Everything else was black jeans, black shirt. Was that the outfit he picked up for yeah, himself? Yeah, yeah. Well, no, that's the outfit he already had. Oh, he was going to wear the other one for the comp? Um, the- no. He just wasted money. Oh, God. <laughs> so the outfit he bought at the mall right. that we went shopping for the fair was the outfit he didn't even wear. Wow. And the reason he didn't wear it is because he did a vote on Instagram. Should I wear outfit one or should I wear outfit two? Well, outfit two was the old outfit and it got more votes. Oh, wow. So he wore outfit two. I tell you, my son. <laughs> So sounds like he had a great personality. He did. He did. Always including everybody in his business. (laughs) So he wears outfit, too. So I said, but you know what was different? He had your Gucci body scarf around his waist. He used it as a belt. And he said, "Okay, well, I'll let him know what he had on. But then again, I'm at home thinking, why would he ask what he had on? You know what? Okay, well, maybe that goes with how they need to do missing children and all that so he calls back and i'm like yes yes what's what's going on he said well um the trooper told me to stay here because he believes that the deceased body that the phone is ringing in is in the pocket of a boy at the morgue now we 
as the troopers don't know if that's your son. But based on what you're telling me he was wearing. And the phone in his pocket. And the phone ringing in his pocket. We believe your son is at the morgue. So my husband loses it at that moment. I can imagine. Okay. And I go into defense mode. Don't you let them tell you anything. Right, right. That can't be him. Maybe he dropped his phone on the Ferris wheel. We're not going with that information right now. (laughs) No, no. I was in complete Well, you never would think that at any given moment that you send your child away to go to the fair, Mm -hmm. you know, a place of, of fun with the school, and that at the end of the night, you're talking about a morgue. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly. tremendous. Exactly. And I guess the, the, the moment being when it all came real to him was then when they bring the evidence back to him with Andrew's wallet that included a GameStop card, the $6, and friendship bracelets. Because at that time, his sister was into making the little rubber friendship <laughs> bracelets. And that was in the bag, as well as um, some other things. Um, and how long did it, how long did it take for them to get that to you? Well, did that you happened see? on the same night at the at the at the fairgrounds in the parking lot. Okay, so they yeah. did. Okay, they had that. Stuff. Yeah, right. yeah, they had. Um, but you said it took a moment for them to let to, me see. Yeah, I didn't see the body. Um, they always told me that you don't call the morgue; the morgue calls you. So I waited and waited and waited for that morgue to call me, and it never did. So when four days passed, you know, it was like, wait, they never called me. Why, why is that? So um, a friend of mine called the morgue, and it was an attorney friend of mine. And he said, you know, the family needs to know something. And the morgue says, oh, we had the wrong phone number. You mean the phone number that had been calling the phone the whole time? They had the wrong phone number. You understand? Wow. It, the wrong phone number. I said, now, let me owe a ticket, a fine, or need to be served with some papers. They'll be at your door. Okay. <laughs> They're going to be at your door. With no hesitation. But, but I, you know, I couldn't understand, too, as you were explaining it. How is it that if they knew that this phone is ringing, there was at no given time that they thought that maybe they should pick it up and be like, hey, we need to call this phone number? Not important to them. It was not of urgent there's a, matter. There, there's a dead child here somewhere, and there's a phone ringing off the hook. Right. And nobody thought that that should be the phone number that they need to call right. back and say, hey, this belongs to somebody that's in here. Right. You no, know, that's right. Yeah, that's that's not good. That's not. And, and that just goes with the delivery of services. Um, poor. Poor delivery of services. Did you ever address those issues? I've I've dealt with Too filing much. grievances okay. on multiple levels, yeah. and um, it's just to the point where as you see the repeated systemic failures that exist, and sometimes you just need to pick your battles. I'm believing that that process has changed. Maybe they did have the wrong phone number. Um, so when but, they finally told you what 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 happened, then what was the well, when they finally told me it was a false narrative that was told, I had to go out, my husband had to go out and pull the pieces to what the real story was because they just said a boy got hit on the interstate. No, no, no. What I'm asking you is when they finally, the lawyer t- 
made them tell you, mm-hmm. like, hey, this is Andrew, mm-hmm. what was that moment like for you and your husband? Oh, at the morgue. Yeah. Yeah, when the morgue called, it was just a matter of preaching to them. You know, we've been waiting in anticipation all this time. Um, we haven't seen our son yet. How do we know that's really our son? Um you know, how could this be? And they were very apologetic. We're so sorry. We're so sorry. We tried to reach out, but we never were successful in doing that. Mm-hmm. So at that moment, you know, it's now trying to get a funeral home and get the funeral paid for and and find out where we're going to bury him. We're not from here, so we have to go to New Orleans to bury him. So he actually had two funerals here in uh, Tampa, Riverview area. As well as um, in oh, New Orleans. Oh, he's in New Orleans? He's in New Orleans, yes. Oh, wow. And a family mausoleum there. So um, it, it, it just was, seems like a real big gap. It was like from them, from the moment that he, um, they knew that he, it was a child somewhere in the morgue mm-hmm. to the moment that they gave you the information. I mean, it was such a big gap right there of, I want to kind of say lack of concern maybe of, on their lack of compassion. Mm-hmm. It's a child's laying here. You have to let somebody's parents know that there's a baby in here, you know? Right. It was easy for them to to label him John Doe. Yeah. And to to move on. And um, when I received the the belongings and the paper and whatnot, I could see John Doe wiped out. They scratched out John Doe once they received his name. But through their identification of him, it was easy for them to write off 19. Well, Andrew's 14. Right. So that was how they labeled it. It was like a John Doe, somebody that just died. And we're going to just a, toss a Gucci belt around right. his way. We're going to just toss him away, you know? I don't think very many people. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But that's beside the point. I won't even go there. Right. So um, it, was, it, it was just... Mind-blowing for a first-time experience, um, being thrown into this arena of injustice and things that you see that just don't work, don't make no sense and don't work right. Right. So it became more and more clear and evidently clear that our systems are broken in multiple areas, mm-hmm. and every every area needs cleaning. And I guess when you don't give things so much attention and, you know, many families are grief stricken at that time. So they don't go back and try to clean, clean up the morgue. Right. Well, you did. I remember we talked and um, you said something about Andrew becoming a statistic. I thought that was very powerful for you to discuss. Um, Can you share that with me? Yeah, that analogy um, came in the midst of just my my day to day. And reflecting on what just occurred to me, you know, what just happened. Uh, Coming from a family where I went to an all-girls school, private school, um, parents professional, living in a nice community, just, you know, doing doing great in life. Um, Never really having um, a day of testimonial strife. And then to be thrown into a statistical death of a child that didn't even finish the eighth grade. It was disheartening to me. It was something that showed me that nothing was of promise. Um, 
and no matter how or what you do in your life to come to to keep some type of order there will always be some obstacles or instances where someone can mess that order up right right and the statistical piece was just a wow moment for me like was it wow because also that you had worked so hard to stay away from statistic I think it was a while because I don't know if I even tried to stay away from it I don't think I knew it yeah so um to be now part of a tv you know somebody you hear on the tv it was just like what's what's happening here you know uh, are we paying for some sins we did? Uh, you know, right. you had to go back in the, did your daddy do something to somebody, husband? Right. Or uh, mama and daddy? But not knowing that, that Andrew, Andrew's purpose is beyond, is in his death. It's, right. Yeah, it, it's, it's not about a, a sin being paid. You were ordained mm-hmm. as his, with his life to go forward and help. Right. other people so right, right. he does serve another statistic too yeah <laughs> yeah 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 and um it all came clear because andrew's school had just gone into um ipads that okay. was where the curriculum was mm-hmm. they didn't have school books anymore and he was so excited not to tote a backpack with books <laughs> so he had his ipad and he's like mom and dad take pictures of us take pictures take pictures mm-hmm. And I'm washing dishes, and and his dad is sitting watching the news. And I'm like, my hands are wet right now. Have your dad take the pictures. And Andrew's like, you see, nobody want to take my picture. But this is for my cover. <laughs> and we're like, cover what? It's not like you're a rapper or. Don't do yeah. Andrew. Let him have his moment. <laughs> Andrew was trying to have his moment. Right, right, right. So. We laughed at him. It was like, wow, everybody's going to want to know that. You see that cover, little boy from Riverview. Yes. You know, so yeah, son, yeah. So he's like, well, y'all can laugh all you want, but the whole world is going to know my story. And he was like, yeah, Riverview, (laughs) big time, tough, tough Riverview. And um, after the funeral in New Orleans, uh, my husband and I sat on the sofa at, at home. And it was like, well, what do we do? It's, he's buried now. What do we do? And I brought up that moment. And I wow. repeated it Wow! to Andrew, my husband. And um, I said, you remember when Andrew said the whole world was going to know his story? He said, yeah, I remember that. I said, you think maybe he met? We gonna be telling this story. That was, and you haven't stopped, have you? Right, haven't stopped. So that propelled and gave the guiding light Mm -hmm. for where we are today. Okay, tell me a little bit about um, his sister, Deja Marie. Is it Deja Deja Marie? (laughs) That's a cute name too. Mm -hmm. Um, How did it affect her? Wow, Deja Marie. She was in the fourth grade. Okay, she was ten years old. Okay, when this happened. And children are so resilient. I remember the funeral, they wanted people to read Mm -hmm. at the funeral. And we thought Deja would never be able to withstand the pressure of reading at her brother's funeral. Right. But Deja somehow demanded to read at her brother's funeral. She felt it though it was her duty to read at his funeral. And my mom looked at her and was like, are you sure you're going to be able to do this? 
And Deja said, yes. So she read. She saw me cry. And she held me. And she said, Mom. She said, Pee-wee is his nickname. Right. She said, Mama, Pee-wee is with God now. Oh, wow. He's an angel. He can do things he couldn't do on earth. Wow. And I'm like, what you talking about, little fort? From, <laughs> <laughs> From the mouth of the babe. Yeah, what you talking about, little 10-year-old? Go sit down. This is the worst thing ever. And I'm crying. She's and seen something you didn't see. Yes, she saw something I didn't see. And she has been a trooper. She has been our comforter. She has been our anchor. She has. It's part of her story, too. It now. is part of her story. Okay, why don't, we, why don't you tell a, a little bit about your circle? Is it Mothers? Circle, circle of, of mothers. mothers, yeah. Circle of Mo- Mothers Tampa is a product of our travel okay. all over the world and collaborating with families impacted all over the world. Okay. And this particular family is um, Trayvon Martin's family. Okay. Uh, Sabrina Fulton. She gives every year an event called Circle of Mothers. Okay. And she tells you to go back after the retreat in your community and empower other mothers to transform their communities. And I heard that message and I came back to the realization that if my son died in Tampa and there were no resources here in Tampa when he died, it was something I had to sit alone with. Mm-hmm. I went to other little support groups, but they didn't touch as deep. And I wanted to have a circle that touches deeply, right. that speaks to the hearts. Mm-hmm. Of mothers. I didn't want just a one weekend deal and you go back because, as you and I both know, this thing comes every day. Every day. There's not just a weekend that can help you and you move on. So I came back and I created the Circle of Mothers Tampa, Florida as a program under the Andrew Joseph Foundation. And in that programming, I wanted it to provide hope to mothers. I wanted it to provide help to the mothers. And if we can work on healing, and if that is such a thing, we were going to try that too. So the circle of mothers uh, with so many other mothers, and it doesn't discriminate based on the death of your child, how your child died. A loss is a loss of a child. It really is. It brings the same rippling effect, the same damage to the family, the same breakdown in relationships. Right. As any other debt. It doesn't matter who, who did it or how it happened. Well, I went to your event. this That was Sunday, right? And to see all the mothers that you had in there. And just, it wasn't even to see them. It was the feeling of when you walked in there. Um, it felt like everybody was holding each other up. And that's, I think that's the death that you kind of talk about where, um, one person doesn't have to feel the load all by themselves. You know what I'm saying? That's important when you're going through grieving, that you don't feel like you have to carry that burden all by yourself. Right, right, right. And that's what we we provide, a holding space, you know? Right. Sometimes it's heavy. The load Mm -hmm. is so Mm -hmm. heavy. 
and you just want somebody to hold it for you. Yes, Can for you? a minute. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> for a minute. And um, that's why I thought it was necessary not to discriminate because most mothers in that meeting didn't have a loss, but they understood the heart of a mother. Right. So when I was weak, they were the stronger pieces. Right. To build us up and to still be able to create the work of support right. for other families coming in. Because I never know when my wave going to come. Right. But when my wave come, I have somebody to call. Can you take care of this for me? This is a new family coming within our circle. Can you please provide support? Can you please provide a, a ministry of chaplain, a pray with the family? Can Those you, things are important. Right. Very important. Right, right. And what I always say is that my mother-in-law, before she passed away, she had leukemia mm -hmm. and needed a lot of care. And she said, Deanna, she said, you can get sick, but don't get sick too long because mm. nobody will come check on you. No, they won't. So I used that as grief, and it felt the same way. Deanna, you can grieve the loss of this boy. You can be in detriments for the loss of this boy. But the people ain't going to be there every day. No, they're not. They're not going to stay holding this with you forever. Well, it's, they don't understand it. And and sometimes what it is is that, and I realized this with um, my son, it's not that people don't want to stay there. They just, time goes on. They go on with their life. And it's easier for them to be like, okay, I I helped there. You know right. what I'm I did saying? my part. I did my part. <laughs> and now I got to just move on. Right. Because it's... um. It's something that you hold the rest of your, your life. And, and thank God that you're, you holding it has put and set off a, you know, something that's helping other people. Right, right. I'm grateful that it's transcended into right. um, what it has today. Um, because now we have a network of families. St. Petersburg has their area. Clearwater has their area. Tampa has their area. Mm -hmm. And we, we, we. We are the families. Right, right. We are the families. We're going to save ourselves. We're going to um, be the change we want to see in our communities. What, while you're on that, you're working on a curriculum also, aren't you? Yes, programming. <laughs> yes, that's Can my... You tell us a little bit about that. Yes, um, I'm working on now a curriculum where we create... Our avenues okay. families impacted. It's called the Victim Reconciliation Program. And the Victim Reconciliation Program helps us speak to the people who took from us. Okay. I want that to be part of a sentencing. Yes. When you're sentenced to a particular crime, you need to come to the family as part of your release. That family needs to express to you exactly what you've done to them. I think that's powerful. How you've ripped it apart. Right. And through your redemption is how you will really be free. Right. So the victim reconciliation program is one that I've What researched. about those families that don't really want the... Then that's optional. Yeah. It's up to them. But when a, when a case does come to be... That should be a recommendation of that person's parole or that person's um, sentencing 
or their time while in the jail. Right. That they need to be able to endure um, a live feed programming of hearing the voices of the family. Did with um, Andrew, and I, I meant to ask this earlier, was there anyone ever convicted? There was no one ever convicted. They keep running away from me, appeal after appeal. Okay. So um, that's where we are right now. They didn't never know who it was? Well, I know who, who it is. The okay. officers are, are filing for sovereign immunity, though. They want qualified immunity. And what that is is um, because I'm a government or official person working in my capacity, I should be forgiven of my sins. Okay, let's before I we go on. So he was hit maybe by he he wasn't hit by a he was hit by a, a lay person Jonathan Hatfield. But that goes back to systemic failures. Okay, the Got Florida it. trooper when Jonathan Hatfield hit Andrew allowed Jonathan to leave with the remains of Andrew on his car and go back to Bartow, Florida. He Guided the interview the whole time. Would you say you were going about 65 miles per hour? Jonathan says, yes. I was going 65 hours per hour. So he guided the interview with Jonathan. When Jonathan says, I looked up, and then I hit him, he didn't go any further as far as investigating. What were you doing when you looked up? And in the process of a, a vehicular homicide is the procedure of that department, Florida Highway Patrol, to ask if you would submit to a breathalyzer. He didn't ask Jonathan to submit to a breathalyzer, which was a violation of Corporal Hinton's mm -hmm. investigation. So, again, file a grievance, take it to Tallahassee. And in filing that grievance in Tallahassee, they come back and say, we have a, a letter for you. We've gave Corporal Hinton counseling. He's read the handbook, and now he understands how to do an investigation. Another slap in the face. Once you become a corporal, you've spent some years in service. That's right. If you haven't learned how to do an investigation. You shouldn't be a corporal. Exactly. Right. So now I want to pull up every investigation he's ever done and see if there's a pattern of not knowing the policies and procedures so that's where we are now so the curriculum where do you want to put you want to just put this in where where would the curriculum be at the curriculum will go into all um, correctional institutions juvenile okay. um, justice centers um, that would be a program that we look at whether private organizations would want to incorporate this in their diversion programs right then that would be great as well mm -hmm. but at this point it's in the developmental stage we have the the trainers and now we're looking at being able to implement those into those so we, we need we, we need to present the proposal okay. and see who picks it up all right so we're almost done um you made a statement that i looked up when i was Doing my due diligence. <laughs> and it says, sometimes I just want to be a regular mom without the stain of death of a child and then realize I'm not, I'm not, we are not the same. Not, Can we elaborate on that a little bit? We are not the same. We are not the same. And I believe at that moment, 
that that was my moment where I just wanted to be normal, be regular. Yeah. I wanted to be regular, and I didn't want to be known as the woman whose child was killed. Because right now I don't have a name, Deanna Joseph. Mm-hmm. I have the name of that boy that was killed. Yeah, I know. Okay. <laughs> and I see that as being a different kind of mom. Right. Because I lost my kid. And then I, I also equated it to I had two children and one didn't make it, you know. And... When you have a, a a track record of trying to keep it all together, and then and all of a sudden this comes out the blue, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, this um, is a lot. So I, I don't see myself as other mothers do, because I don't have that success story um, of raising children and they getting married and you know and, and being successful and, and going to college and then the grandkids. We're not the same because I'll never have that. No. Uh, that'll never be part of my um, ending chapters. So as much as people say, well, you have Deja. Yeah, I do have Deja, but I'll never have a... The legacy of Andrew the, right. to go on. Right. Because there can't be another Andrew right. the fourth. Right. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of my friends, their sons are playing college football right now. And um, they say Andrew was pretty good and he probably could have been in the NFL. But I, I'll never know that at this point, you know. We're not the same. Are you still a little, Are you still angry, do you feel? I am. I am sure. still angry um, because I feel that it was senseless, right. unnecessary. Uh, I understand children die of cancer and other um, multitude of disease and ailments. But Andrew's death is a phone call could have saved his life. A ride home could have saved his life. And those areas are, are given to a dog. You know, as my husband would always say, they wouldn't have treated a dog as bad as they treated Andrew because right. a mangy mutt in the fair would have at least got a ride to the animal center yeah. and taken care of. What would you say to the people that you feel like is responsible for what happened to Andrew? Do you really want me to say that out? As long as it don't get us barred <laughs> off this. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> Go ahead. I would like the individuals who are responsible yes. to know that they stole so much from us. And life is the best lesson. And I hope that one day they will see this lesson. I hope one day they, they can bring themselves up to me to say they're sorry. Mm-hmm. Um. But they haven't asked for any forgiveness. At forgiveness, all. Yeah. so it's not mine to give at this point. But um, I, I just pray that 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 Bible verse, "Vengeance in mine," mm-hmm. says the Lord. I, I hope that's a true thing. <laughs> I'm hoping it is too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I'll be trying to hold on. Right. I need that Bible to work. Okay, so why don't you tell everyone how they can contact you and how they can help you also with the foundation? Yes. Everyone, my um, name again is Deanna Joseph. We have a foundation. You can contact us via the website, www.andrewjosephfoundation.com. And um, 
Our cell phone number is 813-562-2045. The website also has an email component. So if you go to that website and you click contact us, you can leave a narrative message um, and any support that you can give because our programs and our funding goes directly back into impacted families of child loss will be greatly appreciated. Alrighty, so again, this is Miss Deanna Joseph. We're going to ask her a couple more questions before we go, and they're ones that just kind of woos off for a moment. What's your favorite color? Purple. <laughs> what place would you love to go visit? Ooh, Paris. Mm, Paris. I like wee wee. <laughs> One person you could meet, past or future. Mm, that or present. Would, <laughs> that would be past. Maya Angelou. Oh, wow. Um, future, Oprah. Okay. Um, Michelle Obama. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a favorite book. Favorite book, Fly a Little Higher. Um, it's a book that helped me a lot as far as dealing with child loss and my son. And what's that, Fly a Little Higher? Yes, fly a little higher. And um, and that, that kind of comes back to my grandmother saying, why don't you just let that boy rest? Okay. And i like, nah, he can't rest yet. We still have work to do. <laughs> so I say, Andrew, fly a little higher. Right. So that's my little slang now. That fly. you use? Yes. yes. So if you had a boat, what would you name it? Hmm. If I had a boat, if what you would had I a name? boat, what I'm would you name it? I'm not even getting in the water. <laughs> They might kill me and drain. Look, oh, Lord, I hope Look, no. Well, the boat, I guess I would say fancy. Fancy? Fancy. Okay. One thing you could tell an upcoming advocate to inspire them. I would tell them to keep pushing. Keep pushing. And that's in the terms of... Pushing meaning pray until something happens. Amen. And I use that a lot because no matter what the day or night looked like, I had to keep pushing, pushing in prayer. I'll be in the shower sometimes and letting the water flow, and I'll just say, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus. And he knows. Right. He knows. Right. I want to thank you, Miss De Deanna Je um, Joseph. We have had a great talk with you. This is from Hustle and Heart. We thank you guys. Um, hopefully, you'll be able to come on again, and we can talk about some different things, and you can bring some other people this time. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> she got she got a squad, y'all. She got a squad. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you, guys. This is Tawana Span signing off from Hustle and Heart. Hopefully, we'll be back again this week later on Friday. You guys have a great night. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I can get my introduction and my and my ending down, Pat. I'll be. Right. I'm about to go in. I'm about to go in the mirror and be like, "What's in heart?"